Tampa Bay Buccaneers are Super Bowl 55 champions, led by Tom Brady. And that's it, it's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Hello and welcome everybody to episode 39 of For Future Considerations. We're in overtime, just like much of the NHL playoffs. A lot of overtime games this year. It's been great. I haven't been able to cash in on any prizes, even though I did pick the right player once. Uh, did the not Bucci win. Overtime I Challenge? I did not win on the Bucci Overtime Challenge. I had, uh, I had uh, who did I have? <laughs> What was his name? Kakinyemi. Oh yes, yes. And, and he scored. And, Game six. And it was great. And then uh, and then nothing happened. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's overtime. So this is when it gets hot and heavy. The boys are still here. John's back home right now, shirtless, probably sitting outside in the sun. Manny's here as well, always pantsless, sitting out in the sun. We're recording outside. We're outside again. Listen yeah. to nature. Yeah. Dogs are barking. Neighbors cutting the grass. Birds chirping. So. Don't be surprised if you hear some background noise. John, put on a shirt already, buddy. What's going on? <laughs> Sunning myself. I hear you're losing. The temperature gets yeah, over I fifteen, and off comes the shirt. Oh, you're you're down a few pounds uh, in the last little bit, eh? Or is it just uh, it's just toning? <laughs> Working out. Hey, being outside more. Comerica Park. The Detroit Tigers announced this week that starting next week, next Tuesday. Uh, they will have 100% capacity at Comerica Park. Very interested to see what that looks like. Because if you were to announce that, like in Marlins Park, you'd probably have the same crowd that you're getting now right. to tell them it's 100% capacity. So I'm interested to see what that looks like. We had the conversation uh, earlier this week about you know the border opening and everybody getting excited about that and us being Manny and I are down in Windsor so and literally we can Sarah Palin and say I can see Detroit from my house we're we're right down there I you're you're double vaccinated borders open how soon are you going over well I know the wife wants to go shopping the next day like yeah. within hours yeah I probably wait a little bit okay yeah, I wouldn't go over right away. What okay. about you? I'm checking the Tigers' schedule, leaving the clinic. Really? Yep, eh? yep. My little guy is just turned four this week. Yeah. Has not been to a baseball game. Ev's only been to one, um, but but Cross has never been to a baseball game. So that that's uh, to think that that was uh, even a possibility seemed ridiculous, and it may just be, but uh, it's still at least uh, nice to see. I think I'll wait till the end of the NHL playoffs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like the NHL playoffs have been really, really good. So. Mm-hmm. They have. Yeah. You don't want to miss any of those games for sure. Some great series in the second round. What about you, Rashad? I know you you've got a bit of a, a haul, and and we try to get you down here. I think weekly, and you tell us that <laughs> maybe next week. But when, uh, when keeps do, putting it off. Yeah, when do you, it off. When do you and Jill um, um, see yourself uh, uh, going across, or or at this point, do you? Yeah, if they open the border, I think a couple of weeks after we get our second doses, I think we would probably be up for going. We really want, uh, there are a couple of places we want to hit. Chicago-style pizza in Greektown in Detroit and uh, possibly an Olive Garden. <laughs> yep. Pizza Popolis. Yeah. Pizza is yeah. a great place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and the Olive Garden. They do the, the big lunch menu and stuff. You, we could do both the same yeah. day, Rashad. Uh, you, could, you, could, you could go to the Olive Garden in Erie, Pennsylvania with those hockey guys at the showcase there. Oh, yeah. There you yeah. go. 
Yeah, big shout out to the boys from Flow Hockey, PBHH Hockey Showcase. Over 110 players started playing Tuesday, competing in front of scouts, more than 25 NHL teams in attendance, hoping to get noticed for the NHL draft coming up in July. And for many, it's the first time they've played hockey in more than a year, yeah. considering that the OHL didn't even have a season. So yeah. Hopefully they're going well and having a good tournament. By all accounts, I wish there was some way we could watch that. I it's on Flow Hockey. Yep, Flow it's, Hockey. If you check out Flow Hockey, you can get uh, subscriptions on there to to see some of those games. I've checked out a couple of them, and really, it's it's. Um, I'm surprised. I guess pleasantly surprised by the intensity. Yeah. Pace isn't there yet, but it's it's coming. And and you know these kids know that you know this is really a chance that uh, they did not expect to even have. So it's uh, it's balls to the wall. Yeah, they're, they're all over social media too, which is great to see. They're posting a lot of stuff. Uh, big fans of the show too for future considerations. So thank you guys for the support. But uh, I think it was day one. I think it was Ethan Burroughs I saw already had like a cut on his lip and stuff like that so the intensity is there yeah yeah for sure if you want to learn more about the showcase go back and listen to episode 31 uh our interview with andrew parrott who's one of the organizers and and truly again to see it you know the first time that he had suggested to us that he was planning that uh, for myself personally it was like well yeah i mean that would that would be great if you can do that we had him on again and he discussed it and he had plans and he had arena and he had a venue and to see it actually come into fruition i mean this is really really impressive that he was able to pull this off with the guys that he has yeah brendan hoffman ryan beck ryan humphrey like andrew parrot i know is the leader he won't, he doesn't want to take all the credit for it but john i think we've talked before that this guy should just get a sniff from nhl scouts because of what he's done mm-hmm. for these other players yeah, that kind of leadership and that kind of initiative and that work ethic and um, the will to go and write the letter that he wrote, just all of these different things. You talk about character, and he's got a lot of it, and he's been showing that in the last six months or so. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward. His dad just got a job yes. in the GOJHL as an assistant coach with uh, with St. Mary's. So uh, looking forward to uh, to going over there and introducing myself and telling him that we had uh, Andrew on and that he's an outstanding guy and then beating St. Mary's. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan's a big fan of the show. He says he wants to come on. So Oh, boy. Former tough guy. Awkward. So, Rashad, uh, we're going to – okay, three, two, one. Let's start again. <laughs> You're going to be as popular with him as I would be at a tragically hip concert <laughs> you, <laughs> you know what um who who brought this up i don't know if they were talking to you or not i don't know if it was my girlfriend or not that had mentioned the music that rashad listens to were you around for this or maybe this was a different conversation no this is a different conversation so this is and it, i thought it was a great question because i mentioned that he, you hate the hip and and you're Canadian and you hate the hip. Oh, it and was it, me. You were talking to me. Yeah, yes, because the the idea was so like you know, John, you're cruising. Like I'm just saying, you you've got it at 145 on the 401. You're coming down to to Windsor to see your boys. You give us a big hug for the first time in years. You get control of the radio. What are you putting on? Ooh, probably a Detroit boy. Probably Eminem. Oh, M&M. M&M. Okay. Okay, so that's your go-to. That? Okay. So you're in the car. First, you get your pick of the lot, 
and the first guy you pick to listen to is Eminem. Yeah, you got to listen to some Detroit, uh, some Detroit music. I'm not a sure. huge Kid Rock guy, but uh, Eminem for sure. So, what would be in your six CD changer then? Ooh, wow! See, it changes a lot because I'm a top forty guy, so you get tired of things quickly and things cycle in and cycle out. So that's one of the reasons too with classic rock is I've been hearing those songs for my entire life. And so I yeah. want to hear something new and something fresh. So I'm always yep. changing it up. How many Kelly Clarkson CDs are in there? <laughs> <laughs> like, is she interchangeable with Ariana? Since, Since you're a top 40, like it's either Kelly Clarkson or Ariana Grande or what's, what's going on in your car over there? Uh, and I know you can't. I know you can't lie about this because you love pink, and I know I know that. <laughs> yep. And I'm not trying to make fun of you. And I know you'll say that you do because she's outstanding. But she puts on a great performance. She would. Live, she would. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We've seen her live in person twice, and uh, if you want to see a show, that is a show. Who have you seen the most out of any mu- music act, Manny? Wow. You let, don't go to a ton of concerts. I don't go to a ton of concerts, but... Uh, you don't remember most of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've gone to a few big shows. I've seen Aerosmith. I've seen Lenny Kravitz um, twice. I've okay. seen The Hip three times. What a band. Yeah. Um, uh, it's funny. One of my best friend's... His brother is uh, a sound man. Oh, cool. So cool. We, we used to go into... Um, uh, we used to go into a Call the Office in London. It's a bar in London, a great bar in London. And uh, we used to go into shows for free. Nice. And uh, I think I've seen the Headstones. Do you guys remember the <laughs> oh, Headstones? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. With, with Hugh Dillon? I think I've seen them. 27 times so not not a not a hugely popular band right but if you're asking me which band have i seen the most right the headstones is up there. that's so funny because when i was co-hosting the the morning show down here on on, uh, on the rock um with craig we would do a bunch of these events and, right. and all host all these these concerts and stuff and man it really did come into so uh how many more days until we get to see the trues right <laughs> and uh, right. and i've i had to have seen the trues four or five times and they are one of my favorite bands that that out there that uh um that live are are just uh, a party the great great band live but you see them so often just because they were you know they're canadian they're in their circuits they're only really going so far so it's pretty easy to hit a few spots and we would seeing them annually for for a good half a decade i've seen the trues half a dozen times yep yep uh, i'm trying to think of other bands that i've seen that often um like the tragically hip i mentioned the tea party oh yes i've seen them several horrible times. horrible drumming <laughs> horrible drumming in that band we, we gotta get jeff burrows on the show we gotta get jeff on we the gotta show. get jeff on yeah, the show yeah. he, he's uh, they're coming out with a new album yeah Did I see that right yeah the tea party yeah so um, we I don't got, know what it is. The hip have new music. I don't know how they pulled that off. But so we got to get Jeff on to uh, to talk about that. Um, wow! <laughs> great to see Jeffy again. Yeah, it would be uh, just so many flashbacks now to all the bands that I used to see. Uh-huh. Forever, like Big Sugar. Oh yeah, I, that they're band great. is the loudest band <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. They played our college pub. <laughs> And uh, you know that stucco ceiling? 
that stuff was falling into people's drinks. That's how loud they were. It was, it was coming off the ceiling and landing in our drinks. They were so loud. They're great. But they're man, great. Are they loud. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. funny you say that because um, uh, Big Sugar I've seen a dozen times. Yeah. A dozen times. And uh, when I was working in uh, Owen Sound, I did mornings like 10 days in a row. And then I was off for a couple of days, but Big Sugar, I think my last day of the week was like Wednesday, uh-huh. and then I was off till the weekend. But I had worked 10 days straight in the morning, wasn't sleeping well, but Big Sugar was playing that Wednesday night in London. So I drove from Owen Sound to London Wow! to catch this, and I was hanging out with my boys because I was going to crash at their place. They were so loud, but I was so tired. I still fell asleep in the concert. I I don't know how. I don't know how, but I still (laughs) fell asleep. (laughs) Yeah, when I was at uh, college at Loyalist, it was um, late, I guess mid-90s, and you should have seen the bands that came through there. We saw um, I, Mother Earth, Our Lady Peace, Moist, The Odds, The Trues, The Headstones, um, there were so many good Canadian, Big Sugar, so many good Canadian bands at that time. And then the yeah. hip did show up to a show, but they watched other people perform and then they didn't perform and everybody was very disappointed. But uh, I remember I w- we were seeing Friends at Queens, another sc- music story. I was We were seeing Friends at Queens, great party mm-hmm. school in Kingston. We went to a bar and uh, nobody knew who was playing at the bar. It was the hip. Wow. Uh, at this bar. I was very inebriated. Yeah, yeah. I jumped on the stage. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, needless to say, I was not up there for very long. <laughs> but kudos to my friends who begged, and I was able to stay in the bar. Wow. They didn't kick a, me out. That's a win. Yeah, they that's didn't kick win. me out. Who are those friends? Because Rashad and I would just point <laughs> at you. Like, no, get them out of here. There's no room for this. Mandy Paver, the Salt Lake City fan, apparently. <laughs> wow, well, good g- for you. The good old times. Good the for good you. The good old times. Oh, hey, back to the show. Oh, yeah. So that, we're, that, was, we're, that was good. We're in the OT. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's uh, there's some great live bands. You know what? And I'll say this, and, and we can move on from here, because I'll just get myself in all kinds of trouble and, and be mocked for the next little while here. Of all the bands that I've seen, and I've seen a, a number of bands, and the ones that I've actually paid for, live, rock and roll, right now, I don't think live you get a better rock show than Nickelback. Really? I've seen them four or five times live. They are awesome. See, it is the it's an old like they they go back. They're a, it's almost like seeing Kiss. Like it's fireworks and lights and everything. Like it's it's a show. And it's I've always loved seeing them live. I've never seen Nickelback. Have you seen Nickelback, John? I haven't actually. But the one thing I will say about Nickelback is everyone they get so much hate because everyone listens to their overplayed pop songs if you actually pop in a cd and listen to the entire thing from beginning to end they rock hard like they yeah. are a good rock yeah, really? band, and they really? don't get credit I really, for it. I really thought i was gonna get my ass kicked for that okay 
Good. No. I'm glad you guys like it. I think they're great. I think, you know, like, This I, Is War I don't and, know. like, Dark Horse, like, those, that, that album and some of those songs, like, that is, I've, I've put it on um, a few times and, and around buddies of mine or whatever, just based on the intros and stuff. And I'm like, who's this? Just wait a second, because you recognize the voice. And the second it's, oh, come on. You, dude, you were into that. You liked that. You thought that sounded good. Right. Like, I... I understand that point, and what John says, you listen to some of their B-side yeah, stuff, or yeah. some of their... Photograph, like, yeah, let's be real. Their non-pop yeah. songs. It's good stuff, but I've never seen them live, so I'm surprised. Like, Lenny Kravitz live is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Aerosmith live is unbelievable, so I'm surprised you hmm. said that about Nickelback. I enjoyed Green Day live, too, actually. Yeah. I saw them live. Send us your favorite live performances. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's concert season now, guys. The Genesis is touring yeah. right now. Um, uh, who else is, uh, had just said that she was... Billie Eilish is doing yeah. tours and all that stuff. It's For future considerations at gmail.com or on social media, Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram. Or for future considerations on Facebook. We'd love to hear your feedback. Remember when we said we'd make this episode a little bit shorter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're 20 minutes in. I haven't talked a lick about sports yet. Hey, but we did say we were going to talk about pop culture. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk some sports, shall we, John? Yes, as we were saying about 14 minutes ago, we wanted to continue to talk about the OHL. <laughs> and we've been... Uh... <laughs> We've been talking to some previous OHL champions as some of the anniversaries have come around. And so that's what we're doing today. And I just want to prepare you before we do this call. Um, it's a video call uh, in the hills near San Jose over data. So if we get some internet dropouts, we do apologize for that. But uh, we do think you'll really enjoy this interview. We've done some interviews in the past with uh, Memorial Cup champion Luke Boca. We honored the 10th anniversary of the Owen Sound Attacks. OHL championship by interviewing Jared Maidens in May and we encourage you to go back and listen to those interviews too. Yeah and in this episode of the OT uh, we want to honor honor the 2017 Memorial Cup champion Windsor Spitfires who celebrated their fourth anniversary on May the 28th. And to help us recognize that anniversary is a Calgary native who played in the WHL before being drafted in the third round by his hometown Calgary Flames of the 1995 draft. He played 25 games in the NHL with the Flames and Florida Panthers, racked up 117 penalty minutes. (laughs) This guy's a tough guy and an agitator. At least he was known for that. He spent 11 years in the NHL. Now he's getting attention for what he does behind the bench as a coach. As mentioned, he won the Mem Cup with the Spitz in 2017. He took the Chicago Wolves to the 2019 Calder Cup Final. Now he's an associate coach with the San Jose Sharks, considered one of the rising coaches in all of hockey. Please welcome to For Future Considerations, Rocky Thompson, who joins us from San Jose, California, where the weather is beautiful and we wish we were there too. Well, you do. You, you're right about that. We just came off a nice hike here out in the mountains, uh, Los Gatos area. So it's uh, it is beautiful um, because of the vaccination process down south here. Um, things are more open than they are back home, so it gives you a little bit more freedom to get out. Hey, before we talk about your time with the sports and your coaching career, listen, I got to ask you: How many people are surprised to learn that you're not the mean sob? 
and the agitator that people know for you from your playing days? I think um, I think once people meet me the very first time, they realize that that um, uh, the way I was as a player is not the way I am as a person. You know what I mean? And um, don't get me wrong, it, it, you know, I'm very protective of family and myself. So there's still a, a tiger in there somewhere. You just gotta you gotta you gotta do something pretty bad for it to come out. I'm saving it for my daughters. I always say. <laughs> Have the uh, loaded shotgun on the porch kind of thing. Yeah, no, I just, I got, I got two, I got a left and a right hand and that's still pretty good. So that's all I need still. (laughs) Well, they always say the guys who are the biggest enforcers are always the nicest guys off the ice, right? It's been my experience when I meet other people too, the guys that I've uh, battled with over the years and stuff, super nice guys. And, And I think it's, um, you know, we're not threatened by, by that. We're not, you know, we don't need to prove anything. Our whole life has been about that type of thing as a, as a player or as an athlete. So uh, I think it was just, that was part of the, the game for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got, I got to tell you, I was a little bit intimidated meeting you in Windsor in 2017 because of that, but you were one of the nicest guys to deal with from a media perspective. So I appreciate that. The last time I saw you, in fact, you was celebrating that Mem Cup championship in Windsor. Obviously, we want to talk about that. But uh, let's start by talking about how you landed in Windsor. Because you were an assistant with Edmonton uh, the year before. But as the story goes, so I'm told, a presentation at the 2015 NHL Coaches Global Clinic changed your path is that true yep absolutely we were we were in florida and i was still technically on staff with the edmonton oilers i I was in the second year of a three-year deal with them but there was a coaching change i was brought in with dallas akins and he was let go and todd nelson came in halfway through the year and um, then direction of the oilers went with todd mcclellan and um i hadn't um been relieved of my duties i was the only coach still left on staff at the time but todd i don't know if uh had made a decision on whether or not he was going to retain me and jay woodcroft was coming in so i went to that um coaches symposium um in florida and i did a presentation on offensive zone uh tactics and play and as a result of that uh presentation i met bob bugner and he was just himself transitioning out of junior to the San Jose Sharks. And basically we hit it off. I met Warren Reichel and, and they offered me the job of the Windsor Spitfires at that time after uh, an interview process while I was down south. And that kind of, um, I guess, uh, in hindsight, maybe put me on the map as far as a head coach was concerned. And Bob gave me that first and Warren gave me that first opportunity. And then you joined the Spitfires and you won 40 games in your first season and then 41 in your second season. And then you're hosting the Memorial Cup. Um, you lost in the uh, first round of the playoffs in both of those seasons. And then uh, before the Memorial Cup, there was a 40-day layoff. So um, they still talk about that. Um, you have to decide and you decided to have a boot camp. Uh, can you tell us about that process? Yeah, the players still joke about that. <laughs> we, we, it, we, it sounds worse than it was, I would say, but it was a, 
there there was a lot of science behind how we were going to to train and period periodization they will call it and again i didn't come up with this trust me i'm not educated in that but people who are smarter than i am i'm i'm smart enough to listen when they're talking and and apply things sense and so we did have a plan and a schedule for our players that we would and again the first two weeks it was basically like a hell weeks if you um where we were five days on and i'd give them two days off but those five days were were they were two a day workouts so you'd wake up first thing in the morning you'd come in we would we weren't on the ice at that time um in the mornings but we were doing um spin classes and again it changed every day um with how we were going to uh train the guys and then we would go on the ice and uh of course as we started to come out of we had i believe it was three phases and i i have it i just don't have it in front of me of how how we were going to taper as we got closer to the competition, the Memorial Cup. And again, there was so much uh, things that we had to think about as far as the psychology and, you know, the wear and tear on our guys and then getting them game ready and having games. And so it was a really well thought out methodical plan of how we would implement that. And I give our guys a ton of credit in the leadership within the locker room. And again, Trevor and Jared Smith and Evan Mathias and and Munker, uh, all the guys and staff that was involved in our training staff too. Um, it was an outstanding group team effort from the players to, to the staff that we were able to implement and execute those things. And, you know, ultimately we wanted to give ourselves the best possible opportunity to, to, to win a Memorial cup in, in Windsor. So I'm really proud of the guys for what they were able to do. Yeah, all that seemed to work, right? You beat St. John's in the tournament opener. And the team played with a lot of confidence, I remember, Rocky. Like, were you a confident bunch, even though you lost in that first round of the playoffs? Do you remember that? No, absolutely. Like, we, you know, the first round we were up three games to one. And, you know, we we ran into a really good goaltender at the end of the day, Tyler Parsons. It wasn't like we, you know in that series and London was loaded that year I mean we had 90 some points to my memory and we were the fifth best fifth best team in our division not even in the the league that's how good our divisions were uh that year and so uh we certainly could have won that series against London and then London went on and and really struggled against uh Erie Otters, who is, uh, you know, half their teams in the NHL this, you know, now. Um, and, and and even though um, they struggled against them, I mean, they struggled in that they were getting outshot 50 to 20 in each game, and it still went to seven games. And I believe it might have even been an overtime game that they lost to Erie. And we really felt at the time, whoever came out of um, the, the Western Conference there was really the team that was going to win the championship, which it did. And uh, Erie won. But we always played those teams. It was because the way our team played, we, we were very sound, well-structured, um, without the puck. Um, we, we protected uh, the scoring areas really well. And we did have a good special teams. We had the best penalty kill ever in the Ontario Hockey League that year. And, um, we, you know, our power play was no slouch either. So we really felt that, obviously, we could have given Erie a run for their money in the playoffs had we had gotten past London. And then um, at the end of the day, going into that tournament, we knew that Seattle and St. John were, were outstanding hockey teams. And, and really, Erie was probably the best built team 
uh, of any of us at the time, but we, we had a great record against them all year and played really well. So we felt that we had every right to be there and um, that we could do uh, what we wanted to do. Um, but it, all, it was all really important for the start of that tournament against St. John, like you mentioned. And then you got a bye to the final. And then, of course, May 28th, 2017, you beat the Ray Otters 4-3 to win the Memorial Cup. Um, what do you remember uh, from that day and from that game? Do you have memories that stand out from that day? Well, I, I, I do knew, knew that our team was very confident, not overconfident or arrogant or anything. We were just, we were confident. We had played Erie the, um, the previous game in a third game of uh, the round robin play and played them really well. We had a, you know, a multiple goal lead and um, they, it's not like they played poorly or anything like that. We just, we were playing good. And um, so we, we were confident going into that game and um, we knew that they were going to be better because we, you know, at the, the same breath, we had just beaten them um, to earn the buy. Uh, and so I thought our guys were, were just in the right frame of mind. Um, we were firing on all cylinders and it ended up being an outstanding game and they took the lead. And, and again, um, our power play came up big at the end of the set. Uh, and then we were able to go into that third period tied. And I just remember going into the, going into the dressing room after the second period. And, um, I just wanted to instill a little bit more confidence in our guys just with the feeling like I know we're going to do this and just keep sticking to the plan. Don't venture off, uh, continue to work together. Um, and basically the message was, uh, they deserve it. Like our players, I said, you guys deserve this. Not only do you deserve it, you're going to actually, you're going to do it. I, I was very, I wanted to instill some confidence in them going into that third period and they, they were playing it. Maybe they didn't even need it, but I just wanted to remind them of that. And we went out there and, uh, Bracco made a great play early in the third period. It must have been just over four minutes in to my memory that um, he made a great pass to Aaron Luchuk, who scored a, a great goal. Um, and, and really, he had played well all year long, and he was scoring big goals for us all season long. Um, and then after that, it was like over 15 minutes. I remember thinking, okay, this is going to be a long 15 minutes. <laughs> 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 with with um, you know the firepower that they have, um, I mean you had Dylan Strom, DeBrinket, uh, Rat, the Radish boys there. Um, it was it was uh, Fogley was the and Sorelli uh, were their their second and their third line centers. If you can believe that, these guys have been in the three seasons and doing really well. Like that's how deep their team was from the perspective of, uh, you know, personnel and uh, our guys, we, we played well. It's not like we even sat back and just, you know, you know, rested on Mikey. Mikey had to make some big saves, but our guys played really well in front of them, particularly like you look at Logan Brown and Gabriel Velarde. Those guys were our centermen on their first and second line and, and they played tight. And um, I give, um, you know, we had Sergachev and Sean Day as a partners and they Basically, we played with 4D for the majority of, of the game. Um, and then you had Logan Stanley and J Jalen Chatfield. And Logan Stanley and Chatfield were more targeted against the uh, Dylan Strom line. And, you know, they really just, they took away time and space. Their sticks were great. They were really starting to frustrate 
um, the, the top lines of Erie is what it was. And uh, we were disciplined in the same breath. Um, although we did have an excellent penalty kill, we were just disciplined that we, anything they got, they were going to have to earn, especially in that third period. And uh, we knew they were going to pull the goalie. And earlier in the series, they, or in the Memorial Cup, they did pull their goalie and actually scored a goal on us, uh, I believe, to, to shorten the gap to one goal in, in the third game of the round robin. But, um, you know, our guy stood tall. Mikey made a big save. There was a post hit by Dylan Strom uh, right before late uh, with under a minute to go. And then after that, there was a face-off with, I don't know, it might have been 10 seconds left in the game. And um, Dylan Strom had been previous game really, I mean, they, they got a couple of scoring chances off face-offs with the goalie pulled in our third game. And so I remember Stevie Yacht came out to practice and we had him work with our centermen um, just about how they would handle that situation if they got put in the same situation again. And he went over it, we practiced it, and lo and behold, there we are with the Memorial Cup you know, on the line, um, and we need to win a face-off in order to prevent a scoring chance because like, be able to probably execute a play if they could do it. And uh, it worked, exactly what we prepared for our guys. I mean, we've been preparing all different scenarios and it didn't change during the tournament. And, you know, thanks to Otter for, for helping us with something that, you know, we needed help with at that in that situation. And um, we won the draw. We had the clear. And I just remember, yeah, after that, it was pretty cool. I'll tell you what. Mike, you started celebrating. Listen, I got to tell you, you weren't the only one nervous for 14 minutes after Luch scored. The guys in media row, we were all pretty nervous too. But the memory, Rocky, like – you you have a picture perfect memory like this must really stand out for you as a as a career highlight even even the players that you've got there no without a doubt um you don't forget things that are important like that obviously and through as a as a team you know as a staff uh with players it's it's something very special and it doesn't come around very often so you cherish those memories and um you never want to forget them that's for sure it's fun to reminisce about them yeah well you talked about the loaded lineup for the ross uh otters you guys had a pretty loaded lineup too like if you think about the success of those players that you rhymed off uh you must not be surprised that they're achieving greatness at the next level yeah no exactly we're 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 happy that i'm sure if you were to ask trevor and and jared and we're we're very proud that we were a part of their development um and and then to move on as professionals and to be nhl players and it's not everybody is in the nhl but other guys have gone on and been successful too um preaches is we want you to be the best that you're capable of being so now but not everybody's capable of doing what Connor McDavid does but to maximize your own personal potential was always something that we wanted to do with each individual whether that's you accomplishing the National Hockey League or or going on and being successful in life or, or, or at the Canadian University level whatever it may be we're very proud of the players there that have continued on uh, you know, in the game, but not only in the game in life. So um, I think they've all been successful. Um, and I'm looking forward to a reunion one day and talking to those guys again. <laughs> you lose touch a little bit, you know, as life moves on. But uh, what is it now? What are we, four years after the fact, or is it five? Yeah, it is four years right now. So, yeah. 
And then after that, you moved on as well. You moved on to the Chicago Wolves in the AHL, which is the farm team for the Vegas Golden Knights. And you led them to a Calder Cup in your second season. As an AHL coach, do you have a lot of contact with the coaching staff in the NHL? We did, yeah. I would talk with Gerard Gallant um, consistently. Him, him, and his staff at the time they they were outstanding, and uh, a good a good friend of mine to to this day. And and Gerard coached me when I was, gosh, it must have been in like uh, the late nineties uh, when he first retired and started coaching. So I had I had a, a relationship with him prior to that, and he's such a great person and so easy to talk to. And we'd pick up the phone and you know we'd share stuff and and just I'd let him know about how the players were doing and and when Gerard left and and Pete came in uh last season prior to this one during the pan the initial pandemic um Pete had gotten there was there for a couple of months and then again uh, just another great guy and uh, communicate with them and, and you know and that's that's normal to well it's always been normal with my experience at least uh, talking with the NHL coaching staff and they want to know about the players and you know if they're going to call somebody up what they can expect and that's really uh, our primary response responsibility is to prepare those individuals so that when they do and if they do get that opportunity they can go up there and be successful one for themselves too to help the team which was the Vegas Golden Knights. Pete DeBoer another Windsor connection there uh, what's something the casual fan does not know about the AHL Rocky? How good it is people don't realize how how hard it is to have success in the american hockey league and that goes from coaching in the american league to being a player in the american hockey league. i'll give you an example i i was fortunate enough to coach leon dry with the edmonton oilers when he was a rookie he came out of junior had him for half a season um and we sent him back to junior leon the following year um and was sent down to the american league and i don't know for sure a handful of games and he might have had one assist okay that's how tough the american hockey league is because you don't have the same supporting staff uh you know uh, down there as far as talent is concerned that you would see in the national hockey league so uh, to generate offense is really really difficult because there are older players there the game is really really fast guys can skate they're strong they play well without the puck so uh, then leon ended up getting called up and playing in the national league i think he had a point per game after that after struggling in his first two weeks and so the american hockey league what it does do which i loved about it is it humbles people and when you get humbled that is a, a perfect place for a person's development because they're open to teaching they're open to correction and they're open to development and that's what we're all about down there and and i to me personally i'm coaching the national hockey league right now the National Hockey League does humble you. There's no doubt about it. Maybe not quite like the American League does, but um, but that's what you want is you want to improve uh, people uh, as individuals and, and grow a culture and grow a team together. So there's that Rocky memory again. Leon Dreisaitl, six games in Bakersfield, two points minus five. And then he gets called up by the Oilers, 51 points in 72 games 19 goals so wow i know and that and that's the american league like it 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 does humble you you have to work a lot of guys will come down there and they'll they'll take it for granted they'll actually think that they'll be able to dominate because they dominated in junior or the great players and it's like it is possible but it ain't gonna be easy you're gonna have to earn it down there and um and they they find out in a hurry (laughs) 
<laughs> that Bob Bugner connection worked in 2015 when you were hired by the Spitfires, then again in 2020 when he hired you to join him in San Jose. Um, what have you learned from Bob Bugner? Well, I owe a lot to Boogie. First, he gave me the opportunity to, to you know, be the leader of the team that he owned in Windsor. And, and Boogie is great with culture. Um, he's had those championship winning teams, um, you know, in Florida. Um, very, very close to making the playoffs. He's always been an You look at the teams that he's coached offensively speaking. Very powerful, very dynamic, and, and that's something that I've learned from Boogie and the way he sees offense, um, the way he communicates with the players and organizes staff. I mean, he ran a business with the Windsor Spitfires on top of coaching and, um, you know, worked obviously very close with Warren Ruck. Very successful in all the endeavors that he's done from a player to, to a coach, to a, to a business uh, management uh, individual ownership. Um, there's a lot to learn from, and I'm still learning right now, which I'm grateful for. And, um, you know, next year we got a lot of work in front of us. Uh, as you saw this year with our team, we weren't, didn't get the results that we were hoping for, but um, that only makes you better in the end. It makes you dig deeper and, and boogie. We're, we're already working, believe it or not. We took about a week there and, you know, we're already digging, digging into analytics and, and things that we can improve and what other teams do well and, and how, we can, how we can fix things here. How would you describe your first year as an associate coach in the NHL with the Sharks? Oh, it, it was very rewarding and very fun, very challenging. And, um, you know, the people that I've been able to meet and work with uh, right now, they, they've made me better already as a coach. And that's what I try to do every day um, is to get a little bit better at things every single day. So ultimately, my, my, my pursuit individually is always to be the best the best coach possible and um, that's what I want with the players that I'm uh, you know I've been able to coach is, is improve them and again it's always about improving in incrementally because there's only so much you can prove in a day and if you work and give it everything you have with the knowledge and the information that you have today you'll be able to the people that you lead um, just a little bit and if we continue to do that every day ultimately I believe that one day that it leads to success whether you win a championship or or not but ultimately it gives you an opportunity one day to win a championship and that's our goal here uh, one of the bright spots this season too uh, this was an historic year for Patrick Marlowe as he set his new record for games played in the NHL um, what makes him so special on and off the ice well you know he leads by he has an unbelievable belief in himself uh, which which is so important and again if you met Patty it's not arrogance in one way, shape, or form. He is very humble. Um, he's very appreciative of the support that he gets from his team, and he understands that the success he's experienced, he'll he'll say it's all from his team. Um, he won't even put a lot of, and he deserves a ton of the credit, but he won't. It just gives you an example uh, of the type of person that he is. Is he? He's so giving, um, but he's he's giving of the the credit that really he deserves a lot of. But um, that that's why he's a special person. That's why he's a special player. And, and to be able to witness that, I mean, I got to tell you guys, I'm not an autograph seeker. I'm not like I haven't, and I've I played with. Hall of Famers and you know guys who get stuff like that that's not me I asked Patty for an autograph like that's, <laughs> that that happened very often and, and I'm, I'm I'm in awe of what he's been able to achieve uh it's pretty special 
as you should. How have you changed as a coach, Rocky? Like, if you think about that 2015 presentation, by the way, have you shared that with anybody, or is that somebody that is that something that you still keep uh, keep tight, close close to the vest? And how much has that presentation changed over the years? How have your philosophies changed? Evolving. Um, I think a lot of what was cool about that presentation, which why it struck so people is the principles I believe continue to exist. There's, there was a, a skill principle and the, the skill, you need a certain level of skill uh, in order to produce the offense. So that, that's something, and you can see as the skill continues to evolve this, what guys can do. Um, well, now your adjustments in within a game can evolve with the skill changes. The principles that I introduced, I said, and showed that we can go back 50 years and show you offensive clips and say, you see these principles? And then I would come into the year 2015 and show the exact same clip. Now, the skill was different. It was way faster. The shots were harder. But those principles that I was identifying were still in place. And that's what I love about it is sometimes the old can be the new. Um, or, or it really doesn't change. It just appears as though it's changed. So I'm always in a process of, of trying to learn more. I love analytics. It's something that um, Tyler Dello, when I was with the Edmonton Oilers, was our analytics guy. He's now the head analytics for New Jersey. Devils. He taught something I really had no clue about. Um, I'm a constant reader because what I want to do is improve myself. So I, I have a greater understanding now of analytics I really feel that I can ter- I can interpret the numbers through a hockey lens, um, not just through a numbers lens, which gives me an advantage over some maybe. Um, that's at least how I try to view it. And losing the core, you know, principles of it. I've always been a big culture guy. I love relationships with people. Um, that's who I was as a person, as a player, as a a father, a husband, whatever, um, those was always been big strengths of mine is, is connecting with people uh, just because it's easy. That's not hard for me. I, as, you know, you mentioned earlier in our interview that, that um, you know, it, it was good to work with, with me and you, you know, when we were interviewing. All it is is about respect. I respect people. Respect the closeness between you and them, which is important. Um uh, no matter whether you're a media person, uh, uh, you know, anybody with somebody walking on the street, I want to show respect to who they are. If I walk at the SAP center and somebody's sweeping the floor, I want to say, hi, I want to know who their name is. Cause I'm going to see them every single day. Um, and so that's just, uh, that's always been something that's been a part of me is maybe it's how I was raised. I don't know, but, um, the evolution on the other side would be, uh, with numbers, again, getting familiar with the NHL players, not the person, everybody's all the same. In my opinion, when you meet them, they're, they're all the great. It's, um, just getting familiar with seeing the other players on the other teams. I've been, I know who they all are. I watch games every night, but just watching them on the ice as you're coaching is, it's so important. And I wanted to get in tuned with that again. Um, because ultimately my goal and, and Boogie knows this and, um, you know, Doug Wilson knows this. I want to be a head coach in the NHL. Um, that's my ultimate goal. When the Lord thinks the right time, that that's, that's fine. I'm good. Like, I love what I do every day. I love working with Boogie and John Madden and, and the rest of the staff there. 
it's a blessing every day that you can be involved in hockey. Um, but I do have goals, uh, just like anybody else. And my ultimate goal as a professional would be obviously to be a head coach in the National League. And I, I want to do everything I can to develop so that when I do, if I do get that opportunity, I can take advantage of it. Just like I try to teach the players that I've led along the years that you prepare yourself as best that you can. And we're going to help you so that when you, if you do get that chance, you can take advantage of it. And when that time comes, um, what are you looking for as a potential match in that job? Are there certain things that you would, uh, you would look for in a situation to become a head coach? No, there isn't. To be fortunate enough to be a part of any one of those jobs would be an absolute blessing. So um, every situation is different and every situation is great. And so uh, would, I, would I take over the Tampa Bay Lightning tomorrow? Oh, yeah, sure. In a heartbeat. That would be great <laughs> with a roster like that. Um, Seattle Kraken, which you don't even know who the players are right now. What an amazing opportunity that would be to be a part of an expansion league franchise, uh, to coach in the National Hockey League, like I said, uh, 31 jobs in the entire world. What an amazing thing for the gentlemen who have uh, currently and in the past been blessed to do that. And so I hope to be one of them one day. Rocky, I know you've got to go here. I appreciate the time. Um, when we we got to get you back to Windsor too, right? Maybe maybe we can plan that reunion sooner rather than later. No, the way time flies, it's going to be soon. You watch 10 years, man. We blink and, and we're there. I just keep aging. That's the problem. <laughs> Congratulations on your success. Uh, thanks for skating down memory lane with us. And we wish you all the best in the future. Appreciate it. It was great catching up with you boys. Thank you. Say hi to everybody in Windsor for me. I love it there. Rocky Thompson, everyone. What a memory he still has about that. 2017 Memorial Cup run, which was unbelievable after that 44 day layoff. Yeah, that still is one of the most amazing. Uh, like that, that long of a layoff, I I can't. 44 believe. days. Yeah, yeah. And they won it all. Yeah. We hope you'll bear with us on the sound quality. There, we caught Rocky out with his family during the off season, and he was kind enough to give us 30 minutes. So I didn't want to make him run inside and connect to Wi-Fi and all of that. But I wanted to ask you guys: What did you think of his comments on skill and culture and analytics? I thought it was really interesting, and his presentation is something maybe we can get our hands on that he presented at the coaches' clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally agree with culture. He's right about skill. It makes it harder to win if you don't have skill. But he's really into the analytics. And, you know, as a as a hockey guy with you at the Leamington Flyers, you're probably not surprised by that, are you? No. And, you know, it's, it's obviously baseball is always taking the lead when it comes to these kinds of stats and, and analytics and things like that. But it's it's bleeding in and and i don't think you know as far as any other sport that's out there i still think hockey is behind most professional sports when it comes to analytics and it's you know the the one thing that's nice to hear when you hear rocky talk when you hear some of these other uh, executives talk about analytics it's another tool you you can't get too heavy on this because it's new because you may have an advantage um things like that i mean people figure out what you're doing pretty quickly uh, there there's only a small window of time where you actually have that advantage and, and somebody else is able to to replicate it so it's a it's an extra tool i think you're foolish to ignore it um i don't think it's anywhere near where it's going to be or the types of numbers that it will pull it will change the game because you are going to see some guys get 
paid less. You're going to see some guys paid more in the middle. But ultimately, it's it's a very valuable tool that that's not going away. I, I like the story, too, how he sort of talked about he didn't know anything about analytics, but they had a guy who was into the numbers and mm-hmm. they worked together and learned more about the game and about analytics yeah. together. And uh, so you don't have to know numbers right off the bat, yeah. right? You can grow into that. And I thought for guys who are just entering the game and want to learn more about analytics, that it is possible because Rocky's a big believer in that. Yeah, and I'm really impressed, and that, that's kudos to him as a coach, to being open-minded to that. Yeah. You know, Not that he's an older coach or all that experience, but there's a lot of coaches out there that, you know, oh, it, that's nice that you know but they're they're not putting the emphasis on it that they could and yeah i mean we track a few different things and and nothing to any stretch of of what OHL teams, NHL teams, things like that do. Video is becoming such a big thing now, obviously with with COVID and and everybody being kept out of arenas. It's become even more and more prevalent. relevant. There's a lot of programs out there that you can get that crunch these types of stats, that edit these kinds of videos, things like that. And they're they're fascinating. But, you know, taking a simple uh, comparison of, you know, and we talked about the Leafs uh, earlier this week, you know, Matthew Marners and, and Hyman as a line. You know, there is a metric to figure out how effective they are together. And there is a metric to, what if we take Matthews off of this line? What's this line going to do? And what's it going to affect the other line? Okay, maybe, the, you know, we're a little bit better defensively. Maybe we're giving up, you know, 0.23 or whatever it is goals a game. Maybe Matthews numbers go down. But maybe our goals against or, you know, the the puck possession or offensive pressure or neutral zone. All of those things can be factored in these numbers. And for some teams, it's like, you know what? That might be worth the trade-off. And you're not going to see that any other way than looking at those kind of numbers. I think one thing that's interesting about analytics and where it will go in hockey, I think, is because you look at baseball. If you make a bad decision on a pitch in baseball, it's a strike, and then everything gets reset for the next pitch. Whereas in hockey, if you overskate a puck, there's an entire sequence of play that wouldn't have happened if you had brought that puck in across the blue line. So I think as it gets um, further developed and people are really getting better at crunching the numbers, I think that there's going to be a real advantage to teams that embrace analytics. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. Absolutely. And again, I don't think that advantage lasts long, but you're going to see teams do things. You're going to see them be successful and somebody else is going to copy it. And that's just the nature of, of sports in general. But there are going to be parts of hockey, just like you see in baseball, that are going to be non-existent. I still can't believe with the way that the rule is done in, in Major League Baseball and extra innings that you have a runner on second base with nobody out to start an inning, that nobody bunts that runner to third base. Nobody bunts that runner to the third base for one out, possibly scoring, a, you know, getting on first base and having runners in the corner because the numbers just don't, they just don't equate. So are you going to see teams, just as an example, that you're, you're going to start eliminating or seeing the decline of dumping and chasing the puck? 
because it's becoming puck possession. It's becoming holding onto the puck for that extra second to try to see if something a lane opens up as opposed to just dumping it and going to get it. What are the odds of you getting in there, getting it, being able to sustain pressure as opposed to turning it back? And we see this with power plays now that this is the new thing. It's everybody gets the red line, drop it back to the, the last trailer that's got speed and goes through. That's an analytics number. That's 100% coming off of analytics, the way that they see that rush as opposed to you just getting to the blue line dumping it in and hoping your f3 goes in and catches the puck before the other guy it's it's gonna change the game for sure and i still think hockey has a long way to go with analytics and i'm excited to see where it goes so our thanks again to rocky for joining us on the show and uh you know he he said he there wasn't one job that really he was looking for Mm -hmm. or that there's a specific match that he's looking for but his name is being mentioned in a lot of coaching circles And don't forget, if you missed our debate show earlier this week, you can go back and have a listen and let us know what you think about our opinions and share your opinions, as always. Yeah, send us an email at forfutureconsiderations at gmail.com. Let us know what you want to hear on this show. If it's about more music talk like we did at the beginning of the show, (laughs) what's your favorite concert you've been to? Let us know. And uh, remember to follow us on social media at Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook at For Future Considerations. Unbelievable content on on the social media stuff. And and Manny, you do a great job with that. I I don't even have to check. And this is being being truthful. I don't even have to check most of the apps that I have on my phone now because I end up going on on our, our Twitter feed or our Instagram feed. And you've posted either a great catch, a home run, a final out, an overtime goal, whatever it is and these are like like you had the video of Kaka Kakinemi's overtime winner the day before it happened <laughs> you posted it on there and I was like what is this overtime and so that's why I picked him in the Bouchergrass overtime challenge and lost so imagine just imagine how rich I could be if I did that you know there was a great show and here we go here, here goes Matt again there was a great show that was on CBS I don't know when it was on it wasn't on for very long it was called Early edition. Early edition. Yes. Nice pull, Rashad. And that with the guy from Friday Night Lights, the TV show, the coach, whatever oh, his yeah, name yeah. is. Yeah. And, the, and I always thought the premise of that show was fascinating, and I never really watched too much of it. But he would get tomorrow's paper today. And so he would, you know, help stop a fire or save a kid or boring things like that. But could you imagine <laughs> one day <laughs> what you know, on a on a on a Monday, you just happen to get the the sports section for like the next Sunday with the football picks and they're right or you the Friday's paper has Sunday's football results you'd be a millionaire I take advantage of that yeah how do you not oh man that's what our Twitter is like that's that's what our, our Twitter looks like things before they even happen we've got video of it you guys got to revive that show Hey, we want to thank our sponsors too. London Awnings with Christina and Dennis. Quality that shows. And Shane Topolovic and Next Level Athletics in, in Windsor specializing in sport training. You talk about a guy who knows what you need before you need it. <laughs> Shane Topolovic. Walk in there and say, oh, my, my back's a little sore. Oh, you need to do more reps. No, no. Trust me. Trust me. Uh, and he's, he's got you. He does. He <laughs> certainly does. <laughs> Everyone, enjoy your weekend, and thanks for listening to For Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for 
the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.